We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On today's show, Fachi, let the people know what's going on. Oh, we got friend of the show, reoccurring guest Scott Agnes from the Fieldhouse Files dropping by to chat everything Indiana Pacers related. You're not going to want to miss this. Absolutely. We talk about the past, the present, and the future. So I think you guys always enjoy when Scott comes on and we try to ask him the questions that you guys want answered. So hopefully we did a good job with that. And of course, as we find out more about the Pacers offseason, what that's going to look like, we'll have him back on to kind of pick his brain and hear what he's hearing. So uh, Fach, you ready to get to the intro? Let's do it. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Look, setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Alex. If I put Ajax in the paint, how you gonna stop me? How you gonna stop me? We can go head to head. Call out your top three, call out your top three. Look at the switch from Buddy here. Now that boy got three. We got Holly Burton running point. This is a Benedict for the shot. If anybody gon' come in the post, then we got Miles Turner for the block. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team, we gon' need a mop. All right, everybody, joining us now on Setting the Pace is no stranger to the show. It's Scott Agnes from the Philadelphia Files. Scott, welcome back, man. How are you? Hey, doing well. Just uh, in off-season mode right now, enjoying the playoffs and already looking ahead to what's to come the rest of May because things will start to pick up here in a matter of a week or two. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. And I mean, speaking of playoffs, we just finished round one, saw the Sacramento Kings uh, lose in game seven to the Golden State Warriors at home. But, you know, obviously this was a pretty interesting series, I think, for Pacer fans, just, just because Sabonis, obviously, former guy here for the Pacers. And then you know, seeing the Kings and the trash talk that's been going back between fans, between the trade and what happened. I'm just, number one, curious your thoughts on that series. And then number two, uh, I'm sure you heard about DeMontis Sabonis not shaking hands after the game. Draymond went on his podcast and complained about that, said he lost respect for Sabonis. So is that something Sabonis has done in previous playoff series too? Because I was just curious. I, I can't remember, but I feel like it is. Well, I was thinking back today, and there weren't many playoff series to go off of. The bubble's right. a blur. So who knows? I can't even remember how that even at the ended with the Miami Heat. Oh, there you go. You're exactly right. Yeah. yeah it would have been he against not the Celtics. Even at the bubble. All right. So check that off. So you got the Boston Celtics in 2019. That was a 4-0 sweep right there. Uh, so it would have been taking place in Indy. But no, I don't have any recollection of that, nor do I really care. Because I don't... 
after the series is over, generally, yeah, I would I'd probably be for all that. But also, guys handle it differently, and I don't think it's right to criticize them one way or the other. Some guys want to love, they want to give credit where credits due, and man, that was a fun back and forth that maybe we had. You know, my individual matchup, and other guys winning is everything. We just lost. I'm going back to the locker room because I don't want to do something stupid or say something stupid. So, to me, that's all about nothing. Um, and and what we do know, let's go what we do know. And Domas is a fierce competitor who wants to be out there playing through what two injuries and hates to lose. So to me, honestly, that's not surprising. And you could also, if you do want to make it personal, you had Draymond stop on him. Right. What is oh Draymond at this point? Nothing. So uh, yeah, I don't make anything about that. What I did make a lot about was that game seven because yeah. that was so much fun, Ooh, a blast. Nice. Like I tuned into that thinking. You know, it'd probably be close. I thought actually the the young legs combined with the the energy and enthusiasm there at the Kings Arena would help prevail, propel them to a win. That they would need a little bit more than Steph's average thirty five points. Well, they did, but it turned out to be just an incredible game by him and maybe one of the, his best individual playoff performances we've ever seen. So that was a blast. My last other thought there, sorry, was Clay. Like this is he's he's not what he was in terms of reliability and being that pure shooter. And I hate to see them break it up, but Clay is not what he is right now. Stating the obvious. No, to your point, I believe Clay might have started one of nine in that game. It it was really rough because you know how much they need him if they (laughs) want to be competing at the highest level. But touching on that Kings Warriors game. I mean, I was out to dinner with my wife, you know, she's doing one of those where you know, she's oh, telling me a, a story and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm barely listening. I'm watching the game and, and she's like, you're not even listening. And I'm like, I want that. And I'm looking at that atmosphere for the Kings. And it just, I missed being in the playoffs so bad. And I know the rebuild had to happen, but do you think maybe after being out for a couple of years that Pacer fans might've think, Hey, you know what? Maybe we took for granted being an every-year playoff team, because an atmosphere like that is what it's all about as a fan. I don't think they take it, took it for granted. What I've said a lot is, to some extent, it's a lot of Fairweather fans and a lot of fans, though, that also invest their time in whatever the hot thing is. Um, so for a while, right, it was Colts. And so that was the the biggest you know counter to the, what the Pacers were doing. Or maybe it was IU basketball, a little bit Purdue basketball, but... I think that's kind of the tier we have in this state is you got Colts, you have IU basketball and Pacers and whomever is really rolling or having the most success in general, that's where you're going to get the majority of fans. And then to your point, as we did see that sustained success, success where it was like 25 of 31 consecutive seasons um, and 25 of 31 years where they made the playoffs. So we expected all of that. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was one of the uh, popular sentiments is like, this playoff basketball feels different. It looks different. It's it's special. And now that we're into May, like I even touched on it briefly in the story today, I was like Pacers and Racers, like that's what we love around here. And I think, bar an injury, I think we'll get back to seeing that next year. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting offseason. I told you that off air, and uh, you were like, well, what do you know that I don't? And I said, well, I'm just speculating that I think it's going to be interesting because they do have a little bit of cap space. It's the last year before Tyrese enters his max deal that he should probably get whether he signs it this summer or next summer, I'm not sure, but probably this summer that'll go into effect next year. But I just feel like this is a team that has a, the potential to be a little bit more of a player in the trade and free agency market. And it seemed like Kevin Pritchard at his press conference 
was very excited or very interested in maybe getting out there and going after somebody. Now, we know that they were rumored to do that at the trade deadline, and we saw them be aggressive after DeAndre Ayton last uh, last offseason. But where do, you, where do you think they focus this offseason in terms of how do they go about looking for players to add to the roster? Yeah, well, first of all, you hope it's a top five pick, right? You hope you get a little bit of luck, you bump up. And you. And what I've been saying is you hope you get one more big swing at it. And then they could get a, a few other smaller swings if you keep those late first-round picks. Maybe you strike gold and somehow the Rockets have that 30-second pick and you're able to have that as well. I think a best-case scenario is you, you have a good pick in that lottery and then you package those other picks for a, a player on another team who's not getting, again, those minutes or um, is not quite in that role. Or right now we're seeing so many players uh, in teams strapped because of cap and, and and all those functionally. You know, maybe a team doesn't want to pay into the tax or nearly as much as they did. And so they're willing to offload and in turn get a couple draft picks. I think that's the route you're looking at before the draft. Then after that, you get into free agency and I think it's more dealing with trades. And I'm just going off of what we've seen, and we have not seen this franchise be able to really be a true player in free agency. And so, yes, you might work around the fringes. You might get a backup four, let's say. But I think it's going to have to come via trade. And so it's really that mid to late June, I think, where things start to get interesting, both with the draft and maybe when you're trading potentially those draft picks for a known commodity that they've really needed needed right now. And we all know, we've all seen it. It starts at that three and four spot. And I, I'd say more than the four, it's probably the, the three and D wing. Desperately need a guy that can shut down someone. Just talk about that Sacramento Kings Warriors game. You needed somebody that could jump on Steph Curry and make him uncomfortable, make him miss some shots. And so that's why I value that even more so than the four, the bulldozer, the bully, the rebounder. Yeah, the Pacers have had that need ever since Paul George, you know, left. And I, I think it's one of the hardest positions to find. I mean, you know, in sports, I mean, you know, it was in football, you're looking for your quarterback and in basketball, you're looking for your wing, especially if he can do, you know, play both sides of the ball. However, we will never know the exact teams that the Pacers were in contact with before the trade deadline. We have a great idea. But do you think similar to how the Phoenix Suns and Nets, you know, had talks about Kevin Durant and it didn't work and then went back? right around the trade deadline. Do you think that happens with the Pacers re-engaging with teams that they spoke with at the trade deadline? I think absolutely. You're always going back to that well, and that's why these GMs, in my mind, are always having constant communication. They're always keeping their ears up and listening, and scouts especially, too. They talk more than anyone. And so you're, you're waiting for maybe a cue that, for example, we're all sitting here wondering what Toronto's doing. We know Nick Nurse isn't going to be back, are they going hard into a rebuild or how hard on a rebuild are they going to go? Are they going to, I think clearly they'll move at least a guy or two. Will they move three or four? Uh, and then Brooklyn's just, they got too many guys that are overlapping guys that need to, will soon here do to get paid. And other guys are a couple of years down the road. And, and I don't think functionally that makes a lot of sense. So I think those two in particular, Toronto and Brooklyn are, are definitely going to be open for business just because of, how things look right there and the reorganizing as they try to kind of start over a little bit there. And then, um, so yeah, those are the, those are a couple of the obvious teams I think you're reengaging with. And then if anything else interests you, like you see a team with Houston, you bring in a new head coach. Well, that also generally means maybe a new philosophy and maybe they're willing to offload guys. So you're always just kind of checking in. I feel like there's so much 
uncertainty with what teams are going to be doing moving forward to this offseason. There's so many question marks. Like, what could the Bucks do with Budenholzer? Do they fire him? Do they move in that direction? And and I know that he lost his brother and that he was going through a lot. But at the same time, at the end of the day, it is a business. And this team got bounced in the first round. And I think their roster, Drew Holiday just said he probably plans on retiring at the end of his contract, which I thought was very interesting. And they're just a little bit older. Could they make some moves? So I'm just kind of curious because the Pacers, they are a young team. And I think that we are into the rebuild. Kevin Pritchard said that they've felt like they took two years into one by this season, establishing themselves and probably proving themselves to be better than they thought they'd be. But how old is too old to add a veteran to this roster, potentially in the starting lineup? I'm just going to throw a name out there, not saying it makes a lot of sense for the money, but someone like Chris Middleton, uh, a guy that could be a free agent, is, you know, early 30s, but still, I mean, that's a little bit older for basketball uh, age. Is that someone that makes sense for the Pacers, or should they be looking for someone that's probably around the same age as Miles and younger? Yeah, I would lean towards the latter, Alex. I think more like your doesn't have to be 22, 23, um, but I would trend more towards your 26 to 30 in that range and a guy with less of injury history in the last couple of years, quite honestly. I I commend the front office from getting away from the injured guys over the last year, even if it included a guy I really wanted to see potentially blossom here like Edmund Sumner. But I totally understood the mentality of moving on from guys like Malcolm, TJ Warren and Edmund, uh, to name a couple of them, just because you need guys' availability. You need them out there to see what they have. So, yeah, I I would like for them to go after someone of that ilk more so a 27 27 year old three and D guy potentially right or or a bully in there um that this is for, to bring it back to a Pacers reference right that's why I like saying Thad Young bring back him like that doesn't exactly make sense he's on the last year or two right of his deal <laughs> um even though that's kind of the type of player that the Pacers need you know as we know, the trade market is always going to be our better resource compared to free agency. That's just how it's always been for the Pacers. You could label Halliburton and Matherin, I would say, as untouchables. But does it truly feel like anyone is off the table? Because I feel like the next closest name is an Andrew Nemhard, but I don't know if he's quite gotten to the untouchable category for the Pacers. Yeah. First of all, you'll laugh because I'll say no one's untouchable on any roster. Of course. You of give course. me. But the max, you know. I'm all trade LeBron, right? Like to an extent. Yeah. But to your point, no, I think it's hard and fast to those two. And doesn't mean you part ways with Nemhard or, or the next guy easily. But for the right deal, yeah, you have to be willing to give up something. Um, but I, I think as we go here, yeah, it's it's Halliburton and it's Matherin that they're building around. And Nemhard's absolutely part of that puzzle that I think will be here probably for the next seven years at least. Yeah, and I think that leaves a little bit of a question mark with how do they utilize Andrew Nimhard with this team? Do they bring him in as a starting two? Do they put him on the bench and kind of let him run the second unit? And then that kind of puts in what role does C.J. McConnell have on this team? Is he willing to take a third-string role? Is he willing to play? Uh, are they are they willing to play a little bit smaller with Nimhard and McConnell together in the second unit? I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but it feels like with the steps that we saw McConnell take this year as a three-point shooter and be a little bit more of a reliable, a reliable player out there, that they really don't want to get rid of him. So I think it would make sense to potentially move on from him and and continue to build around your youth. But how important is TJ McConnell to this franchise, specifically the front office? Because as I went on a rant about a couple of weeks ago, Chad Buchanan on JMV called him the heart and soul of the Pacers. Yeah, I don't, unless he wants to. TJ's not going anywhere. Yeah, uh, There's too much mutual respect, let's say, between 
the Pacers and with TJ also, uh, he, he provides a lot of assets and traits that the Pacers need more of, like any team really needs more of. Um, and he showed this past year again, he got back to being available for almost every game. So I like that. Uh, to your first point or question, it's kind of hard to answer today just because we don't have roster clarity just yet. We don't know what position or positions they drafted. We don't know. Buddy Heald, Chris Duarte, I think you need clarity in that. But let's assume the three-point guards you're asking about are still on the roster. I think they'll figure it out and, and completely make it work, with it, whatever it is. I lean right now, as of today, thinking Nimhard would be in the starting lineup because of the defensive aspect of it. That doesn't mean they don't upgrade the, the that side of the ball. And if they do, then I could see him kind of play a hybrid role. Um, maybe he starts, but he's the first guy out and then rolls with the second unit. Um, but they they think so highly of him and, and what he's able to provide on that defensive end that based on what they, they said during exit interviews and what we've seen, you have to value defense more than anything right now. So he's going to be a 25-minute, 30-minute per game type of guy moving forward. Now, staying on that topic of valuing defense, which is everything the Pacers have to do this offseason, yeah. one of the players that um, you know could fit a lot of teams and is, is salary-wise definitely works is Buddy Heald. Uh, Kevin Pritchard's comments didn't seem the most confident that Buddy will definitely be back with the Pacers, despite having one more year on his contract. Because they mentioned we need to make sure that we have a kind of a defined role for Buddy, mm-hmm. in in more or less words. In your gut, do you feel that Buddy is on this roster come opening night? I'll say yes, as long as he's good with coming off the bench. I think that's one of the question marks that. Kevin was kind of alluding to there, and and it's a valid one. It's yes. it's a thirty year old, thirty one year old veteran guard who has not played in the playoffs. What are his priorities, both individually and team wise, and how how do those match up with what we're trying to get accomplished here? The other side of that is, and Kevin talks about this more than anyone, is how much they love about their studies, their analytics. What do those numbers say about when Buddy's not playing with Tyrese? That's another big thing to look into because I think we got a good little lay of the land or or sizable sample size here for Spencer Anderson and all the analytics guys, Brady Baker over there with the Pacers, is what does Buddy look like? How valuable is it? Does he play up to that contract when either not with Tyrese or Tyrese is unavailable? Because I think we have a great idea of what those two and how well they play off of. And let's say Buddy is on this roster come August. Then you have some question marks of how much does he play with Tyrese? Does he still start? Maybe he's the one that staggers and spends the first five minutes of the game next to Tyrese, but then comes off the bench and maybe is more of a featured guy uh, as they need scoring off the bench and improve that well. And I'm assuming here the Matherin's in the starting line of going into next season, to be clear, too. So um, all of those factors combined with what their cap situation looked like and what kind of number he would maybe want moving forward because I don't think there's any great need this offseason, but they could choose to extend his contract as well. So those are all the things that I'm trying to get clarity on if I'm Kevin and his staff in the front office. Um, And I thought it was a well-reasoned answer because it wasn't trying to lead you one way or the other. It was truthful. It's like, look, there's an array of things. If things work out, we would love to have him back but we have to make sure we're on the same page about today and about the next couple of years. Yeah. And I think it all comes down to, you know, Benedict Matherin's growth as well, because I think they want to see him grow. And I'm sure starting the last nine games with Tyrese 
hopefully being back for at least a few of those before he ended up sitting out the rest of the season. I mean, it was to kind of get a small sample size of what that could look like. And while I think they could have probably experimented with that more in terms of them both starting together, we, we saw, I think, enough to know what Matherin is as a player and his areas of weakness and strengths. But where do you think he needs to improve the most to really take that next step in the NBA? I would say consistency with an outside shot, not just attacking first first look. Yeah. It's almost, you know, right, like he'll put his head down and go. Um, rather than maybe surveying the defense or getting into whatever play call was there. Um, though to our point, we did all praise him, right, throughout the season for his ability to do that, finish through contact, eight free throw attempts per game. I think finding striking the right mix between those two things would be huge in his growth. And then like with basically everyone on this roster, um, defense. And with him, it's more so even got to show a commitment, a willingness, a desire to defend. And I think a lot of that, guys, as you see as players try to feel things out, they want to prove themselves. They want to get after it on the offensive end. You know, whether he'll admit it or not, I'm sure trying to be rookie of the year in that conversation was in the back of his mind all season, especially coming off the bench. Well, then he starts. Well, then even more so, maybe it gets in, in your mind as you're in the starting lineup and trying to produce, produce offensively. But I'll give Rick credit. Late in the season, I love several times. I don't think coaches do this enough at any level, is use the bench as a motivator. And even if it was just a quick substitution to prove your point, say something, then send him back in. One, it, it visually showed us the couple of times when Ben didn't run back or did run to the corner, do what he was told. Um, but also to a small degree, kind of embarrassed him and should have motivated him to get back to doing whatever they were preaching in practice. So, uh, so for me, it's the outside shot and it's showing some semblance of wanting to defend. Cause I think he has the potential to be a really good, reliable defender. I mean, he takes after his boy, Lou Dort, another Montreal Canadian, and we've seen what kind of defender he has become. So maybe Ben can strike that right balance, I think. I like the way how Carlisle handled everything. He didn't just hand Matherin the keys. for He he did, to your point, use the bench as, you know, kind of a, a motivating factor at times. But I feel like this coaching staff has also been super stable the last two seasons under Carlisle compared to that year under Bjorken where he couldn't recruit coaches, they couldn't retain them. Do you view any changes happening to the coaching staff this offseason? Yeah, not that I've heard. I'm not expecting anything right now. Um, no. So no no, no coaching changes to report, which I is good. One, one thing that was interesting was I think it was KP who mentioned that uh, you know, he wants Lloyd Pierce involved in some of these decisions with Carl, which made me very much feel that, hey, look, they're, they're valuing this long-term Felt like, you know, there was no signs of any type of shakeup. So I think some yeah. stability over here could go a long way. No, I would agree. I knew how Im impactful and how much Rick Carlisle thought of Lloyd Pierce. But to hear Kevin come out and publicly say that he's part of kind of the, I forget how he coined it, brain trust or whatever, deciding guy, you know, one of five, including Tyrese. That was the main point. But to speak up about Lloyd LP in that way, I thought that was telling about how they also view him. I knew I knew how Rick felt about him. Now we know how Kevin, I think, the front office feels and maybe has a belief factor in him. Because um, I know outside, some people like to maybe bring up the potential of down the road, whenever Rick's done, would it be LP that takes over? Some have said maybe it's Ron. Um, either way, I think those would be two 
great candidates to consider down the road, but to have them on your staff right now, uh, I think this group has great chemistry together, especially uh, Rick, Mike, and Jenny because of all their time down in Dallas. But LP and Ron have, have come in and uh, quickly fit in, I think, with this bunch and with this coaching staff and with, with these players. I've, I haven't heard anything negative uh, about the coaching staff or what they've done individually with players at all, which is a good thing. Yeah, and I think you've got to give Jenny a little bit more credit than she probably gets just because of her ability to work with T.J. McConnell to get that shot down. And I think I brought it up kind of like, you know, quickly last time I brought up T.J., but, like, that's a big thing. That was one of his biggest weaknesses on the court and already being undersized for his, you know, position and stuff like that and positionless basketball. Being able to shoot the three really does make it more of a challenge to guard him because he is a good basketball player, and I think that, you know, we got to give Jenny some props there. But I uh, I do want to go a little bit – to someone we didn't see a lot of this year. And that's Kendall Brown, because Kendall Brown to me is someone I was intrigued by because of the athleticism. I knew he was super raw, has a long way to go. Injuries really kind of held him back this season. And I feel like he would have been someone that really benefited down the stretch those final 10, 15 games of the season to get some action and and see what he can do. What are your your, uh, thoughts on Kendall Brown potentially with the team moving forward? And I guess, how is he doing from all the, uh, the injuries that he had? Yeah, so I do remember the last couple of home games. I saw him out kind of running sideline to sideline, just getting a little cardio and what it felt like just kind of testing it a little bit. The fact that he was even out there, what felt like three weeks maybe after surgery, good indication. Um, Not sure just yet if he'll be ready for summer league and things like that because obviously that would be important for a player like him. I'm not sure if he would have gotten in those last 10 or 15 games. Like, Remember how much of a log jam there still was? I don't know. Maybe on that wing they would have... Gabe York played some, so I would assume... Yeah, I mean, that was the last three games. You're right. Fair. Um, And George Hill got some minutes. James Johnson got a little bit. I guess, yeah, maybe maybe a couple spurts, but I don't think he would have gotten anything significant. I, I found him very much to be raw and just I think where he missed out on was so much playing time in the G League. Mm-hmm. He had, a, I think, his second to last game, he was really good. His last game, he was just average, I want to say, if I remembered right. And so I think he was just trying to s- see the game slow down, get comfortable. The thing he talked with us about was defensively. That's where he was really trying to make his mark and, and was being challenged by the G League coaches to improve upon. So I think his real missed opportunity was just getting 25 minutes per game um, with the Mad Ants. I would assume that he would be back. I think he would like that. Um, again, that's one uh, we need to see how the rest of the roster shakes out. Is there a second round pick that they end up do choosing that maybe they'll choose to use that two way spot on? Um, they will have additional two way spot, excuse me, this year, um, with teams getting now three two way spots. So that lends to the belief as well that why wouldn't you bring back KB? No, definitely. And that's someone that I was really excited about. And I think he would have been kind of a household name in college this year if he stayed at Baylor. So he, he's got a, a long way to go, and I, I hope to actually finally be able to see him blossom in a Pacers uniform. But, you know, a couple guys that you mentioned, James Johnson, George Hill, and O'Shea Brissett, all set to be free agents. If you had to pick one as the most likely to return to the Pacers next season, who do you have your eyes on? I'll say George Hill, because I think you need to pick one of the veteran leaders. Mm-hmm. And O'Shea very much, I think, depends a lot on what the roster looks like. Um, But if you're choosing between one of the veterans, I would lean towards G. Hill because I think he can give you a little bit more on the court. He also is from here, and he has bigger goals in mind. Um, 
and one thing I was even just connecting the dots myself is if you're my, the Miami Heat with Udonis Haslam retiring, would you want to bring James Johnson back to the Miami Heat and try to fill that void? Um, I, I think he'd probably be open to that. I, I What I don't know, to be fair, is how much longer James wants to be playing. G. Hill, I do know. He wants at least a couple more years. He said two to three, um, and then very much would like to remain with the organization in kind of a minor ownership role. Uh, the guy he kept bringing up was Dwayne Wade. And so it was not a scout. It's not a coach. He wants to have an impact on these players' lives while also having a a tiny bit of ownership. I'm not sure if old school Herb Simon will be willing to do that. I think it's something him and his son Steve and the family should absolutely at least consider and see if they're willing to adapt and, and, and talk with George and hear him out because they should – be willing to wanting to interview him and say, all right, if we give something like this up, what value are you going to provide to us? But the fact that you have a player like that, especially from here talking about that, I think is huge. And so of those three, I would lean towards G Hill. Um, but all were received rave reviews from their teammates. O'Shea's very close. He calls Tyrese his bestie. So there's that to keep in mind. If there's an open roster spot, and then James Johnson would certainly be welcomed back. I just don't think you should have two of those quote unquote veteran influences um, and burn another roster spot. I, again, I probably said it on your show a dozen times. I come from the belief that I think they should leave a roster spot open to start the year and then maybe look to fill that in December and January, see how things go and don't have that roster spots filled with a guaranteed contract like they did this year with James, where it's not my money, but you had to waive him. Then you bring him back. Well, that costs another million dollars just because of that. Um, so I would be of the mindset to keep a fifteenth roster spot open and go from there. Yeah, I know you. I know you've been saying that for a while, and I'm just. Uh, it, it just kind of makes me laugh because I don't see the Pacers ever doing that. Not what you're saying. I think what you're saying makes sense. But like in terms Pacers, of which the fifteenth roster spot the 15th or fifteenth roster spot, okay. yeah, because they've always they've always filled it, and it's always been guys that are just like not really getting playing time and that kind of thing. So it's like. What's the big deal? What's the big rush to fill it? And then, you know, for so many years, we've heard Miles Turner trade rumors. So I'm curious which one happens <laughs> first. Turner gets traded or they leave that 15th spot open. But um, speaking of the coaching staff earlier, like you talked about, Flashy, that's something I've said on the show is like, it wouldn't surprise me if James Johnson wanted to get into like a coaching role with the Pacers and like a, like a minor coaching role. I could see them adding him to the staff if he decides he doesn't want to play anymore. That to me would make a lot of sense because of how much he meant to the culture this year. But um, my last question for you on this pod is going to be related to Miles Turner because obviously it was an awesome season from him. Really saw him blossom. And like he said, this is the first offseason he's going into not having to worry about an injury. But the rebounding still did not improve as much as you probably would hope it to improve. And I think there's a lot of reasons why. Maybe his rebounding numbers aren't as high. And I think part of it's just because of the bad defense and him having to be the rim protector, the last line of defense. But you said that you think this team needs a three and more than a four that can bully down low, but are they okay to kind of go a little bit smaller like they did this year, knowing that the rebounding problems they've had, and we just saw how important in that game seven, um, Warriors-Kings rebounding was. Even as good of a rebounder as Sabonis was, he just got manhandled by Kevon Looney. So I'm just curious, you know, does Turner really need to improve upon his rebounding, or is it that important to find a four to really help on the glass? Yeah, yeah. I think first of all, Miles did improve his rebound. Be right; it was nothing steep. I think it was like six rebounds to eight rebounds per game, or something like that. But I do commend him. It was like point three of an increase. It was that it? Yeah, Yeah. it was like seven point four. But it was yeah, yeah. Nonetheless, I thought I thought he did a better job rebounding. Um, 
the other thing was, I think there was just so much chaos, let's say it, maybe around him of guys not holding their own that I think it maybe even been Kevin in his presser, or maybe it was Rick. He was like, look, you can hype up blocks, but there's a reason sometimes you're getting all those blocks. And that's more, not just a reflection of Miles handling the blocks. It's also a bad reflection on his teammates not doing their job and leading those guys and guiding those guys um, to the basket. So I think Miles will look even better when he gets more sustainable, reliable defenders around him. I think he'll be able to settle in and not be relaxed, but be able to focus more on his own and not have to cover up, I guess is what I'm getting at, uh, what other people are doing out there. But I would fully expect for him to be back. And this is one of the off-season stories along with, I'm glad you mentioned it, Jenny Busick. I've been wanting to work on a story and I was able to thankfully talk with her in the last week of the season um, about the, her relationship with TJ McConnell because it wow. is something special. But uh, with Miles, I, I, I don't think any of us in the media – Gave him enough due for what he did this season. Now, part of that was the last month and a half he was unavailable because he didn't play. And if you don't play, you don't have to talk to the media. Um, but I, I think him not not quite having a breakout year, but maybe a reemerging year. Like his confidence was an all time high. I think both in terms of who he is as a human and how he contributes on the floor, and then also playing with Tyrese, playing this fast style of basketball, really benefited him how he plays and and how he looks out there so um to your original point alex i think while you can play smaller i think it's imperative that this team goes after and gets that enforcer that they just have not had for for quite a long time and it could be a, a value contract like a guy like kevon looney but at a four position i there's no reason it has to be this high price 25 million dollar per per year guy I mean, I think of a, a bigger Terry Taylor who's just committed to his role, knows exactly what he does, and let's say it's a guy that can pick and roll like crazy and rebound, there is value on that team on this team for that. And so that's where it's on the front office to to poke holes maybe in their free agency and, and see who comes up when they're looking to fill that gap. So maybe you invest and make a big trade for your three guy and land your four guy in free agency. Those are the type of things that I'd be discussing over there. And, and when you mentioned enforcer and, and the needs, everything in my head immediately right? goes to David West. And it's just, yeah. it was such a huge signing that changed everything. And the Pacers have been lacking that for quite some time. But for my last question, you know, the Pacers by a lot of means, by Vegas's means, at least overachieved. They won about 12 more games than expectations. However, in a season where they didn't make the play-in or the playoffs, not that many expect them to, it still feels like, you know, other than a pat on the back, we don't want to give them too, too much credit, but love the direction. What letter grade would you give the Pacers season that we just watched? Interesting. Not a percentage question. Nope, not a percentage. <laughs> a grade. We're grading papers out here today, Scott. Oh, man. Grade the cold strap while you're at it. The what? I'm sorry. <laughs> Grade the cold strap while you're at it. Um. <laughs> yeah, definitely not doing that one. Everybody knows my rule there. You got to give drafts three to four years. <laughs> Nonetheless, I feel like I should write down all these rules that I live by. At least. <laughs> but uh, I think I think I'd give it something like a B minus. That honestly, that was the first thing that came to mind. I was wondering if it was a little too harsh, but I'd probably go B minus because it was definitely above average. They won yeah. more games. I think we got some clarity on some things. There was mm -hmm. other things we did not. I, I think there was a lot of good things when I think of Miles, TJ McConnell, Tyrese Halliburton. Um, 
there was all other things that were disappointments, some things out of control, like Chris Duarte. What what can we make about his season? Also, the bigs. Like I hated the last two months where it's all right, Jalen, your turn. Now it's Isaiah. Yep. Now Jalen. Oh, wait, now we're gonna go back to Jalen. That to me was not sustainable. And I don't think either guy liked that. So to me, that part was a disappointment. So I'm gonna go with B minus. What about you guys? I want to say when we, Alex, you and you and I were going through this. I think I might have gave him a B minus. Did you give him a C plus, or do I have that wrong? Uh, I think I might have gave him a B or a B plus. I can't remember. Okay, it's but been a couple of weeks. I mean, it's a B. I think it's above it's average, a, yeah. like you said. Mm-hmm. It just depends on how you look at it. I think the fact that you were able to see Tyrese develop, I think the rookie success you saw from Nimhard and Matherin being key parts of the rotation was huge. Being able to change your lineup from the double big with Jalen and Miles and find success with Aaron Neesmith at the four, that to me was a huge, you know, chess move by Rick Carlisle to be able to find that success. And like there for the month of December, like you thought this team was going to be a problem in the playoffs. Hold on. Uh, hold on. Not, well, not so, a no, problem I, in the playoffs. I'm saying I never thought team. that. As as <laughs> like a, a team that could scare somebody in the first round, not someone that's gonna win it's win a playoff series, but they, they were handling business in that month, and they were just on top of the world. It's just like, okay, because at this point, I kept waiting for the fall to happen. That's what I just kept waiting on. Like, okay, eventually they're going to get knocked down off this pedestal, and we're going to see the true colors come out. But I never really felt that until Tyrese got hurt against the Knicks. So Then their schedule got more difficult. That's the other yeah. thing that went big in their favor for the first couple of months. Yeah, and, and, and you're right about that. And we heard about it two years ago, how much they talked about the, sh- the strength of schedule being so hard for them to start out. It was the opposite, uh, right? Yes. Exactly. So, you know, to me, it's just like, I just felt like this was a team that was overachieving and I kept waiting for the fall and then they were just kept proving me wrong. So I was like, all right. I mean, I predicted them to win like 24 games this year. I didn't, yeah. I didn't think they'd win over 30. And then the fact they got 35 was just like shocking. Uh, just, I just thought that everybody really stepped up and played well. So that's why I think I gave him a B plus, but really just seeing Halliburton emergent to an all-star in his first full year as a point guard by himself. That to me is like the biggest reason why I give them such a, a higher grade because it all starts with Halliburton, and for him to be able to get there already in year three makes you feel really good about the future of this team. Yeah, it does. I, I think I'm right around a B. No, I, maybe if I gave him a B minus initially, maybe it's a little harsh. A B I could definitely live with because of how Halliburton blossomed. You saw a lot out of Mather, and there's still some stuff that needs to be desired, but you saw like, this kid can definitely play. Nemhard was your pleasant surprise. That was great. Same with Neesmith. But then also, I felt like we dropped the ball a little bit on Jalen Smith, Chris Duarte. Those, those were two players. Isaiah Jackson, you wanted to see more out of. So th- those were some players where it was a bit frustrating. And at times, it was like, you know, that the Daniel Tice era, it, it was short-lived. But it, it was very much a, what are we doing right here? He only played seven games, but once he started taking away from some of the the, the youth bigs, that was like, uh, we got to figure this out. And I just felt that... Um, they weren't as bad as people hoped. They could have been better and went for it. We still kind of stayed at that, you know, I'm kind of an in-between stage, but I prefer this over getting bounced in the play in any day. Yeah, I think somewhere in the B range is fair because a lot of positives, but as you guys laid out, some negatives as well. If anything, I would have said, should I, I tried to push for them to sit Halliburton a week earlier. And I think if you do that, you have a much better chance of really landing something special here and I hated to just like give up a week for what could be something even more special here. Otherwise, I like how the end of the season generally played out. I think that was important. We saw a lot with Nimhard, Neesmith, even Wara to some extent. Um, I thought it was interesting how many players they bought out essentially this past year, though. Mm-hmm. We've tried doing that math. But oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, overall, pretty good 
quality sound season with guys exceeding what they could do. I also am not going to give them. Uh, I can't. I don't think I can go up to B just because the defense wasn't just bad. It was pitiful. It was awful. I mean, the, since the All Star break, nobody was worse in the league. It was like 125 points per game. Like that was beyond just average. That was beyond like, all right, we have bigger things in mind. Like you should be better even with those other priorities. And so that's why I don't think I can go as high as a B or B plus. And the defense was so bad that it, it got completely brushed under the rug. This was the most points ever scored by a Pacers team. Just and it equated to 35 wins. So, you know, you really hope that we can have another season. I get it. NBA scoring is going up and up and up. Right. The that's defense, the other thing. You score 140, but you give up 150. And, and it's just that's when you know you're on a, a next level of bad type of defense. It wasn't sustainable. And so that's why they need it doesn't have to be a top 10 defense next year, but yeah. certainly top 20th. 20. Yeah, exactly. You get, could you be 20th? Could you, you get know? to 14th? I think that would be a real win. Um, yeah. So that's that's what I would love to see Rick, Ron Norad, and that coaching staff get this play, the, the next group of players to be able to do. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder, you go back and talk about maybe sitting Halliburton a week early, I kind of wonder if the Pacers were trying to stay in that seven range because the seventh best odds in the lottery has moved up the last five years. Interesting. The Kings moved up from seven to fourth to get Keegan Murray. The Raptors moved up from seven to fourth to get Scotty Barnes. Chicago went from seven to fourth to get Patrick Williams. Uh, we know the year before that, the Pelicans jumped from seven to one to get Zion. And the year before that, the Kings jumped from seven to two, but they took Marvin Bagley the third because that's what the Kings do. But that's so hard to game, though. That's, that's I the, know, but I'm just saying Luca was right there. Trey Young was there. I'm not saying they needed Trey at that point. They already had uh, Fox, but still, Luca was like super talked about at that point as being like one of the best players in the draft. So, I mean, Marvin Bagley, you know, <laughs> I think a lot of people were surprised by that, but Jaron Jackson went four. So, Really, everybody in the top five has had a major impact on their team. And then, you know, Marvin Bagley got traded three years later at the trade deadline. So I'm just saying, like, the Pacers, maybe they think, okay, the odds of the seventh best, you know, seventh best odds have moved up. And they were last year, what, fifth best odds and moved back to six. So yep. um, it's it's a tough spot to be in. But I think, like you said, it, it would have made more sense maybe to lose a couple of more games, which is probably why you saw T.J. McConnell sit the last two. Uh, you because, think? because he was helping them win so many games <laughs> towards the no, end. I forget it was a while ago, but I forget what happened. It was something like, Oh yeah, TJ I think played for the final eight minutes against OKC and they won. Oh yeah. Yeah, and then I, I don't so think he, about that. And I don't think he played again. I was like, oh, I was at that game. I was like, what are we doing? Because he right. pulled him out. He, he pulled him out with like seven minutes left in that or game. something. Yep. For oh, one man. possession, and then he put him right back in. And then he literally did like five different things. I was like, Oh my god, we're about to win this game. And mm -hmm. I was like, this is, I, I hate to root for losses, but at this point, I that's what it. you're trying to do is just position. If you've already gone 80% of the way, that was my point is if you've already gone 80% cool. of the way, you might as well go 90 or 95 and, and just go all in because then to my point, I've probably said it here a dozen times. Now the expectations are back. Now it's about the playoffs and we grade them harsher. Yeah. They can't repeat this or the last couple of years. They've gotten three swings at it in the lottery. That should be plenty enough to propel them forward so they're, they're not in this place for the next eight years. I completely yeah. agree. I mean, even as like I got caught in between that unfortunate spot where you're seeing a, a George Hill nostalgic performance, but it's against the Knicks in a win at the end of the year. And it's like something about that win took a lot out of me because I felt that we had properly you know almost ended the regular season and then that was that opportunity to basically tie their Orlando magic for you know the fifth best odds and then it was just we fall back to seven luckily won the the, the coin toss. at one point it was eight 
So things were really kind of disappearing, you know, just like that. So right. I was there happy. Was there was that hour where if because of that loss, the if they lose the tiebreaker, they would go to eighth. And I think whatever it was hurt the, Houston the Rockets to where we didn't think they would yeah. get those picks. Now there is a chance that still happens, but they yes. still, they could have been up to six tied in six instead exactly. That's in seventh and they drew seventh. So at least they got that little bump here in the, with that tiebreaker here in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it, it just, it's fun to see how you root for things at the end of the season, but at the end of the day, I think we're all really excited what the Pacers might be able to do this summer there's a big opportunity for them to hit on another draft pick and maybe make some noise large or small in free agency just to shore up the roster a little bit but Scott thank you so much for coming on probably kept you a little bit over than we had planned on but uh always enjoy your insight and thanks again and let everybody know where they can find your work yeah good to be on with you guys as usual and uh uh just fieldhousefiles.com and the Fieldhouse Files podcast hey Scott we appreciate you always a pleasure having you on and uh but we'll be doing it again before you know it. Thanks, Fauci. <laughs> We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. All right, Fachi, another episode of Setting the Pace in the books. I got to give Scott credit, though. That was pretty funny, throwing in a jab at you at the very end there. Did not see it coming, to be honest with you, but uh, he was really getting excited about that one. Oh, I had my guard down. You know, even before, I was like, all right, you know what? We got Scott coming back on, notoriously known for slaughtering my last name. So (laughs) let's see if he got it right. I I thought we did. And so right then, boom, just slips in a little jab. Right as he exits out. But hey, gotta love him. (laughs) Scott, we appreciate you.
Yeah, for sure, Scott. I appreciate it. I love when everybody goes Fachi a hard time. And we know oh, our guy Rooster. It. We know our guy Rooster came on the show uh, a couple episodes ago and you know, came on our mailbag podcast, which we'll be having parts three and parts four coming out later this week with Derek Kramer from iPacers blog. Just wanted to tease that for you guys there. He'll be joining us to answer those questions just to get a different perspective and not maybe just hear our answers all the time. But uh, Rooster did did do good on his word. But you got to give this man some love because he spent the money to get you a custom made Washington Wizards jersey with your name on the back of it. And you were so mad which about he didn't. it. <laughs> you were so, but he did. You he were did. so no, mad. Very kind gesture. Uh, yeah. Very, very upset, Fachi. I mean, <laughs> what we heard on air was a very calm, cool, and collective Fachi. But this man was ready to go to war with somebody. And Rooster ended up sending Fachi another jersey. And what jersey did he send you this time? This one, he came right. Hey, it's an Indiana Pacers jersey. It's got Fachi on the back. I'm excited. I've never had a jersey with my name on the back. Or like the you Pacers just got right one. <laughs> well, well yeah, okay, yes. One that I plan on wearing. All right, so with this one, I'm going to rock it with pride. Everyone's going to be jealous. And Rooster, I really appreciate that jersey because that one uh, is going to see daylight. (laughs) I still think we got to get a picture of the Wizards jersey, just the back of it for fun. Since he got you the real one, I think that's only fair. Put them side by side. Say, I always appreciate a good joke. (laughs) Yeah, Um, well, we'll see about that. If you continue... (laughs) Come on, man. What you got to believe? She already got the jersey. You don't have to wear it out in public. No. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that was an option. But either way, I got it. Uh, I'm definitely appreciative. And, uh, you know, Rooster, you're good in my book. Oh, man. This is too funny. All right, everybody. Uh, We need to get out of here. So, Fachi, let people know where they can find us at on social media. Absolutely. So, you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenMBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Ladies and gentlemen, go to youtube.com slash Setting the Pace of Pacers podcast where you'll find this episode on there, whether it's tonight or tomorrow. I'm not sure yet, but we will be uploading this interview with Scott Agnes so you guys can see how cool and chill Scott looks today because, as Scott told us, he's in off-season mode, so he hasn't shaved in a little bit. So we got Scruffy Scott on the YouTube channel. So make sure you guys check that out and you guys can call him that on Twitter. Just don't tell him where you got that nickname, but hashtag Scruffy Scott. I'm all for it. Um, but yeah, also, also go to the Substack. We finally have an article out, Fachi. I released my top 15 big board for the Indiana Pacers. Now this is not who I think they should take an order and how the draft should go because obviously there's prospects. The Pacers shouldn't really have their eye on that could be in the top 10, top 20 that I maybe just kind of overlooked because we don't need point guards we don't need guards we have too many guards we need forwards so i'm, I'm looking at forwards on this roster uh or on this draft class so i did write an article about that and i'm gonna try to at least get up to 20 to 25 because i don't think we really should get too deep into it but i feel like 25 on my big board would be a good amount of players to look out for the pacers to target but um with that being said if you're excited flashy for the indiana pacers to jump up in the draft lottery in just two weeks then hit me with those three words Let's go Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.